Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. In a world of uncertainty, one thing is for sure, cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13th, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, LLS, will host a trailblazing event, Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by AbbVie, to support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures and its first-class inpatient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps inside or outside, on stairs, on the road, or on your treadmill. Climb your way. Join us for an opening ceremony and then take on your climb with our heart-pumping playlist. Join us on June 13th from coast to coast as we come together to climb, conquer, and cure. Register at lls.org slash bigclimb. All right, Drancer, new VanCast to start the week, and I guess this qualifies as news. It's not quite Phase 2, but we're approaching Phase 2. We learned uh, earlier today that players are going to be allowed back in National Hockey League facilities in very small groups, I suppose. It's something. It's something, and as we await an official announcement on the 24-team playoff format that the NHLPA approved on Friday... You know, it's just a sign that things are slowly grinding back into gear in terms of, you know, a, a return-to-play scenario for the NHL. And, and look, there's a lot of hurdles to overcome. Uh, I think it's interesting, you know, this... It appears that this memo will eventually be public, but based on the news that's beginning to trickle out, um, it, it sort of does seem like this is providing a fair bit of latitude for you know, teams to go through the process in a, in a sort of some distinct ways that are calibrated to the situation on the ground and in a variety of different markets. But, but I think it's interesting that it's non-mandatory, right? This is a voluntary report uh, for players. Players aren't being called back en masse. And, you know, the fact that even players are going to be wearing masks uh, in and around the facility so long as they're not actually exercising in the moment I mean that to me you know certainly suggests that uh, for example this will have limited impact on your and my routines <laughs> right. as we work yeah. through this pandemic JPAT no and and look six players at a time no coaches like it's a step in the right direction I get it and for the players it will open up some ice and it'll open up the gyms to them but you know, again, it just underscores to me how far away we uh, still are from anything that resembles a practice, let alone games. And so, you know, I'm sure these players will jump at the opportunity to get back on skates. But, you know, six guys at a time, no coaches, essentially it's stick and puck, right? Like it's just guys will be out there shooting. And, and look, you and I have both covered enough of those late summer informal skates ahead of training camp where they're are no coaches and guys try to play shinny and 
you know, it's, it's yeah, really... Yeah, the captain's it's, practices. <laughs> yeah, and it's, honestly, like, for people that haven't seen it, like, they're NHLers, and so the pay scale is different, but in a lot of ways, it looks like beer league hockey. Like, they're into it for the first 15 minutes, there's pretty good pace and tempo, and then even it falls off at that level, uh, and guys certainly aren't going all out. So, you know, I guess I need to see it, and, like, I don't want to be Debbie Downer here, but, like, I, I want to see what six NHL guys on the ice with no coaches look like and ultimately what they can accomplish i guess they can do some skating drills and maybe try to get their legs back under them but you know to me it just it feels like a baby baby step uh, i guess in the right direction yeah and you know it probably wise that the league is taking a baby step right probably wise that they're doing this in a in a very sort of slow manner especially because even what they're describing sounds pretty fraught uh, especially for you know, locations where there's going to be a variety of uh, of sort of, uh, you know, lockdown type policies and, and rules in effect that are significantly greater than they are in Vancouver anyway, for what I assume are the majority of the uh, VanCast listeners. So, uh, you know, I also in real time, JPAT just got a text from an NHL source uh, that confirmed for me that, in fact, media will not be in the building um, you know, once once I saw the bit about coaches, I was pretty confident right. that was the case anyway. Uh, but um, you know, confirmed. So uh, be it'll be fascinating to see. Like, does this operate like a captain's practice, but with a laptop that's sort of just an empty feed on Zoom, and players walk by the hallway, and we are all like, "Hey, hey, guy, guy, <laughs> bud, stop!" <laughs> like for fans who don't know, at a captain's practice in the summer, PR technically is not, you know, able to make guys available in any f- official capacity. And so, you know, guys walk down the hall and you need to kind of just, you know, wrangle your own wrangle your own subjects. Um, you know, it'll be curious. Like, I'm curious to know if there will be media sort of portions to, uh, to this uh, because obviously there's going to be interest. There's going to be high interest, uh, but it does seem like media will not be there. Uh, in the building. Right. And then you get those late summer captain's practices that you talk about. And, and the, the really the skilled guys are the ones that come out of the locker room, you know, with their phone to their ear, whether they're actually on the phone or not. Uh, but they're, you know, they just plow right through the, the media guys that are standing there looking like they're way too busy, that they can't stop for you, that, you know, they're, they got this hot call and no, not today. Uh, you see that a bunch of times. So uh, I, I don't know how this <laughs> You know, I don't know how it's going to work, but again, uh, we'll take it as some positive news that the wheels are spinning uh, very slowly to try to get this back up and running. But again, I mean, we're almost at the end of May, so, you know, you start to, in your head, try to figure out, like, if it's six guys at a time and no coaches, uh, when do the groups expand? When do coaches get involved? When do these things ultimately become practices, uh, a training camp? You know, I, I think we're looking closer to August now for a return to play, to actual game action. I mean, possibly late July, but uh, I think we're still a ways away from anything that actually resembles true team activity. Yeah, was it Josh Levo who had a scooter? Pretty sure Josh Levo, like, scooted down a hallway at some point um, this past summer. But no, I think you're right. I think we're months out. And then, you know, that doesn't sort of stop the complication that is, you know, a, a potential second wave. Uh, you know, if things get worse in XYZ municipality where an NHL team is beginning to open their facility, 
uh, you'd think that might complicate things, right? You'd think that the local, like, for I'm sure WorkSafe will be involved in the Canucks, in BC anyway, in the Canucks trying to open up theirs. And so, you know, as things develop on the ground in real time, political entities and on and on are going to be involved in this. Like, it's not just going to be an NHL diktat, right? There's going to be, you know, these these are workplaces that will be operated in, accordance with the laws of whatever jurisdiction they're in and you know that's partly what makes this so complicated um and also so you know ephemeral for now like it's a it's a plan to begin um that beginning is going to be slow it's going to be careful it's going to be deliberate but it's also going to be subject to change and and subject to change from a variety of different fronts both biological governmental uh, and on and on so uh, you know, just just sort of the first taste of, of the logistical nightmare that is this return to play scenario. It's been remarkably quiet around the Vancouver Canucks for the last little while, save for a bit of news that came out late last week and you wrote about it. Uh, credit to you. You had the, the jump on that story. Uh, not good news, obviously, for a number no. of staffers at Canucks Sports and Entertainment. No, and, you know, I mean, the... Cuts are pretty deep when you consider that there was a 20% cut in, you know, April that affected both hockey operations and business staff. And now sort of another cut that operates with the Canadian emergency, um, sorry, the Canadian emergency wage subsidy. uh, And, you know, is essentially a 25% cut across the board for business staff only. So not hockey operations not affected. But for some higher earners, it's it's significantly more than that. And, you, you know, you end up getting into situations where there's some people who are hurt pretty bad by this. And look, when you look at the overall landscape that that business is looking at and the fact that their prime revenue driving, like Trent Carroll in an email to staff or, or I believe it was a conference call to staff really laid out like we've been talking with the government and we know that the events that we lean on, like our lifeblood events are the last things to return. Like, we are impacted the most. We are going to be impacted the most for months. Um, you know, that was a big part of the of the reason that salaries have been cut the way they have. And it's, it's a really tough moment for everybody. Uh, you know, seems like morale's higher than you might expect in normal times. Like, in normal times when wages are cut across the board, everyone's pretty mad. It, it seems the general tenor I got in, in my reporting was people were pretty happy to still have a job, even if, you know, uh, there's a recognition that the, that the cuts are pretty steep. And, you know, we'll sort of see how it goes. It's going to be a really tough go here. And, you know, it is part of the reason why the Canucks have been pretty aggressive. I don't even think it's part of the reason. I think it's a major reason that the Canucks have been so aggressive in, in pitching themselves as a bid city. Oh, I, and one thing I found And one thing I found really fascinating about that, too, is... And that I hadn't realized is, you know, I've been part of the bid process that teams put together for, you know, all-star games or what have you. NHL events, big NHL events. You fill out a big spreadsheet. It's a big cross-departmental undertaking within an NHL team. And from my understanding, this one was a lot more conceptual because at the time that the bid was submitted in late April, the Canucks and other teams bidding didn't really have a sense of you know, what the format would be, what the needs would be. And, and that's still in flux, right? The league still seems to be looking at both two and four bubble cities and on and on, right? Different sort of formulations for how this might look. So it seems to be a pretty conceptual bid process with the idea that, 
you know, you're going to get the format first. And, and clearly we sort of see that now coming on the horizon before you really get into the nitty gritty of, of exactly how it would work. All right. There's a sort of a lot to process there in the nuts and bolts of what's going on around the National mm-hmm. Hockey League. Not a ton of fun to get into. We try to generally have some fun on the podcast. So let's switch <laughs> gears here. Uh, no, I mean, we have to cover off our bases and that's right. where we are in the state of hockey right now. But, uh, you know, people losing yeah. salary and hopefully not no, job losses. Sucks. But like, yeah, it's not fun. Yeah. But no, it's like covering have, a lockout. It's a pain right. in the ass. Yeah. And I, look, I, I think a lot of people, you know, they, they've kind of hit the wall with this. And, and so hopefully, you know, the fact that they are going to open the doors to facilities uh, again just gives people that ray of hope that they are going to get a chance to see hockey resume here before too, too long. But on our last VanCast, we went down this road of, um, you know, just some of the things that, you know, we have to look forward to. And, and we talked about, you know, the resumption of play and whether statistics would in- include regular season or postseason, or you tried to put forth this postseason but not playoff suggestion, and Jake Furtanen's name came up. <laughs> and we talked about Jake and the fact that he needed two to get to 20. Right. And that, that sent you, <laughs> I don't know if it set you off, but you you had a little editorial uh, on Jake needing two to get to 20 when other milestones are out there that are more significant for other players. You know, I threw JT Miller's name in the mix as uh, a guy that needed three goals to get to 30. Anyways, you, you seem to have, I don't know if you struck a, a nerve, but you certainly struck a chord with Tommy the Tractor Guy on Twitter. Yeah. Good old Tommy. Well, Tommy and Ed Weeb and uh, Bert Hutt um, <laughs> <laughs> began to uh, look. All of a sudden, my feed started being inundated with at mentions from a variety of, you know, VanCast listeners, Canucks fans, Shotgun Jake Nation, what have you, uh, shotgunning beers and sort of shotgunning beers while listening to the podcast, uh, which is just, you know, uh, sort of a good context on the fixation with Jake getting to 20. Like, there's a big variety of people who just want it as the, the collective party release of, of sharing in video content production and drinking beers together. And you know what? Fair enough. I should have, I should have probably made that allowance in my rant. Uh, but look, lovely to see. Like, just good fun. And, uh, and all those guys are hilarious. So some good videos, some good shotguns. And, and then I decided, you know, look, if there's a variety of people engaging with our content this way, I'm, I'm in my early 30s. I'm not cool at all, and, and I'm living sort of a, a relatively monk-like existence in quarantine. I, I'd best get on TikTok. So I made a TikTok uh, of me being inspired to shotgun a beer by, by all of our listeners. And look, it was good fun. I, I, I feel like it did an okay job. Like, not bad for my first TikTok. That was your first? Yeah. Damn, you looked like a seasoned veteran. Like, that was right? well... I- I have to say, I you and I haven't talked about this. I watched it, uh, and and good on you. But like with everything in social media, you know, it, it's never the surface level, right? Like the comments were all about the bookcase and the shoes in the background, uh, yep. the product plug for your book. I noticed that one as well. People thought, <laughs> you know, that, that didn't get past people. No, nope. well, good. I didn't want it to. <laughs> <laughs> But, but look, everyone needs something, some good reading material in uh, in <laughs> in this lockdown state we're in. But no, I, I mean, look, I I feel like uh, I I added a lot of 
game tape during the season, so I just used the same software. And uh, look, I think I can. I think I can make some short videos. I'm gonna. I'm gonna try and experiment with some more TikTok hockey content. Uh, going forward, we'll see how it goes. Now these things are, you know, they're video, so there's not uh, uh, sort of that odorama component to it. You can't smell uh, your videos, and you're probably saying, "What the hell are you talking mm-hmm. about?" But it's important to smell good at all times, right? Like, you know, I, mm-hmm. even in this pandemic, even in quarantine, I think it's important to smell good. And I mention that because Hawthorne smells really good, and getting Hawthorne cologne <laughs> is so easy. So. Maybe the two of us, we should like dab it on here before we do the van casts. Uh, whatever the case. Sounds great. Yeah. We'd be the best smelling, best smelling podcast, best smelling cats <laughs> podcast on the market, bar none. I Which is should... definitely, definitely not a boast we can make in season, j Pat. <laughs> right. But I think that would be our selling point. Yeah. You can't love smell it. us, but trust us, we would be the best smelling <laughs> podcast out there. Uh, sounds good. I'm in. Well, check out Hawthorne at Hawthorne. Hawthorne.co. That's Hawthorne with an E and .co, not .com. Hawthorne.co and use my promo code, The Athletic or Athletic, to get 10% off your first purchase. That's Hawthorne.co and use my promo code, Athletic, to get 10% off your first purchase, Hawthorne.co. All right. It seems universal to answer that if and when hockey gets back under this format that was approved by the Players Association, and and we found out that uh, Tampa and Carolina were the only dissenting votes the other night. That means the Canucks uh, were on board with this proposal, 24 teams in the play-in round. And again, there's still ground to cover before uh, everything is green lit, but at least the Players Association Executive Committee agreed to a format. So we have that now uh, as the basis to to work on moving forward. and it certainly looks, you know, and people have been speculating this for a while, based on point percentage in the West, it would be the Canucks in Minnesota. And and we talked on an earlier VanCast about uh, the matchup. And I know you and Mike Russo had your uh, Earth 2 battle, and the Canucks ended up... Did they mm-hmm. sweep? Did they sweep the Wild? They did. They, they won yeah. in four. But as I recall, when you and I discussed, you actually, you picked Minnesota. You thought Minnesota would beat the Canucks. Yeah, I think Minnesota's really structurally sound. Like, I have time for Minnesota. The Canucks' <laughs> advantages are going to be that the Canucks fill the back of the net. Like, the Canucks are score way better than the Minnesota Wild do, despite the best artistic efforts of, of one Kevin Fiala. And, but, but aside from that, like, the Canucks' edges in that series to me would seem more likely to prove ephemeral over a small sample. In addition to the fact that the biggest mismatch, like the big glaring, like Vegas, Vegas, Vegas. (laughs) Wow. Good (laughs) emphasis, Drance. Vegas neon blinking sign saying mismatch in this series would be the Canucks power play versus the Minnesota wild penalty kill, right? Like that is the, glaring mismatch but how effective is a power play going to be you know after months months off right like there's no way that an NHL power play hits the ice game one of a five game elimination play in and all of a sudden is you know purring like there's just no chance and so that I think neuters that advantage 
There's the goaltending advantage. That's a real one for the Canucks, I think. Like, I'd expect Minnesota to maybe even start Alex Stalock over Devin Dubnik based on yep. their respective form. Uh, so that's an advantage. But again, over over five, could be three games, like, any goalie can get hot. And especially in these circumstances, any goalie can get hot. Like, that's not an advantage I think you want to take to the bank if you're the Vancouver Canucks. And so, you know, I look at the Wild as this pesky annoying opponent they're kind of funhouse mirror images of one another like the wild have a really deep blue line sort of one really prolific scorer and no goaltending and the canucks are kind of the opposite uh ultimately vancouver's top six is an edge but whether it's an edge that shows up uh you know i'm a little skeptical like i like minnesota's defensive game a lot more and and when it comes to playoff time even if it's play in time uh, you know, I tend to pick a good defense over a good offense. You know, it's interesting. Dom LeCision, our colleague at The Athletic, was on uh, 1040 on Friday. And, uh, you know, they were talking about this matchup, but sort of uh, in as Dom, you know, probabilities in his world and, and looking at mm-hmm. it sort of from the numbers. He suggested that Minnesota was probably the worst matchup possible for the Vancouver Canucks. And perhaps the numbers say that. I still think... The Winnipeg Jets. Like, and this was basically the teams that are right there around the bubble. So we're yeah, not talking about I agree about, with like, you, actually. I just, look, Connor Hellebuck, when we talk about goaltending. Yeah, exactly. The, who wants to play the, that guy? <laughs> right. So, Goodness. you know, who knows how long it's going to take any goaltender to find his form and get it back up to speed. But if we're just basing on what we saw through 70 games of the regular season, like, take a pass. Like, that's a guy that I wouldn't want any part of. Here, here's a weird thing. I've got a weird thing for you, J-Pat. This is a weird statistical quirk that I uncovered while oh, beginning like to look into the matchup. Because, I, and I, look, maybe this is nothing. I'm curious to know if you think this is nothing or if this is something. Um, and maybe this is a new segment we can do. <laughs> J-Pat, is this nothing or is this less than nothing? Um, so I'm just pulling it up because I've got it in a spreadsheet, but it is a quick little hit on... So here's the Canucks record in Travis Green's three years with the team. So three, two and a half, or two and two and uh, two point eight three <laughs> yes. Canucks seasons under Travis Green. I get Green. you. Yes. The Canucks have played two hundred thirty-three games. They've amassed one hundred and two, hundred and three, twenty-eight record for two hundred thirty-two points. So that's an eighty-one point two point pace. From November to April, so excluding the month of October, they've played to a 77-point pace. In the 37 games that they've played with Travis Green as the head coach, 22-12-3, 47 points, 104-point pace. They are, with the same rosters, you know, across samples, uh, 30 points better. Like, almost 30 points better in the opening month of the season than they are the rest of the way. Um... It seems like the Canucks go in every season with this guy, with this head coach, prepared, right? I think yep. ultimately, ultimately, in, whether it's injuries or whether it's team quality, and I know which way you and I would lean, catches up to them over the stretch run. But it does seem like they get out of the gates hot every year, the last three years anyway. Every year, they punch above their weight over the course of the first month of the season. Does that matter? Or does that not matter in sort of this weirdo play-in, return-to-play scenario? 
So you're drawing this suggestion that because they come out of the gates well in regular seasons, that that may work in their favor at the restart? Yeah. Is that, yeah. For whatever reason, this team under this head coach seems to start fast. Does that right. help and them remember, in the first sort of burst? Remember, like when we got to the end of October, uh, everybody was saying, like, hey, nice start, nice start, but the schedule really picks up now. And right. You know, you can look at that October schedule, and you know they saw Detroit twice, and they saw the LA Kings twice, and yeah, it was you know, soft. There were a couple, yeah, and and look, you, you play every team the way it's laid out on the schedule. Every team plays everybody else, so you got to take advantage of those games, and they did just that. But you know, I think it's important to keep that in mind as well. Uh, that you know they got, you, you had to get your points against Detroit, like everybody else, everybody. Yeah, uh, it seemed except Montreal, but everybody was getting points <laughs> off the Detroit Red Wings. So you know they did what they had to do. But no, I mean there may be something to that. You know this is going to be so different because it certainly sounds like you know you're coming back and playing one opponent in a play-in or a playoff round, and and that kind of changes that dynamic in a hurry, obviously. But no, I mean, they're, they're, they're very well could be. I'm going with there's something to that. Um, yeah, and there's something. We'll, right, and so we'll see if, you know, they can, <laughs> see if they can apply. I'm not dismissing it. I'm saying there's something to it, and we'll see if they can apply that uh, as they get set to open. And this is, look, we're no different than anybody else. I mean, we're craving content right now, but... Is that this is going to be, and it's not just Canucks in Minnesota, like all these first round play ins, these are going to be the most previewed, most scrutinized playoff play in rounds in hockey history. Oh my god, because we all need and stuff to talk about, especially in this, especially in this market. Like, can you imagine, like, what do you think mine and harm's deep dive series preview is going to look like for this? Like, first of all, we're going to do it a month out, right? I'm yeah. probably going to watch every minute of both teams, special teams play from this entire season. Like, it's embarrassing how much work I'm going to end up putting into a series that might last 180 minutes. Yeah. If it even happens. If it even happens. But you know what? Whatever. The thought of it happening, the hope, that, like, glimmer that something is on the horizon, something normal, something fun, something that I generally enjoy, uh, that's going to be enough. Like, that's enough... To give us some purpose, to give to give us some sort of movement, some sort of propulsion, momentum. I'll take momentum, the big mo. Uh, that'll be enough. Like that'll be good for us and and good for the league. I think, especially since the NHL, uh, you know, seems to have abandoned the idea of a June draft, um, with very little fanfare or further comment after the sort of big momentum that that had earlier this month. All right, you want something normal? You want something something, something fun? Uh, let's finish up with Name That Canuck. And it uh, is your turn to try to stump me, and I feel like I need to come back here because uh, the last few from you, I've had to go right down to the final clue. So, uh, uh, I don't know. I'm not sure if I'm feeling it, but uh, only one way to find out. Yeah, I'm curious to see I'm curious to see if you get this one. I, I think you'll... I'm, my guess is you get two points on this. Ready? Okay. Yep. This Vancouver Canucks goaltender, so I'm, I'm helping you out by narrowing the field. Yes, all right. Has appeared in more games than any other goaltender in franchise history, 66, without ever recording a shutout in a Canucks uniform. Huh. Uh, obviously, Jacob Markstrom went a long, long time before he got his first. 
and I probably have, like, that name probably came up in that discussion at the time. Um, hmm. Uh, Peter Scudra. <laughs> All right. Clue number two. Yes. In 1985, prior to becoming a Canuck, so I'm helping you with the timeline here too, this goaltender backstopped a Canadian World Championship team that won silver and included current and former Canucks like at the time, uh, Rick Vave, Stan Smeal, Doug Lidster, and Tony Tanti. He was the team's most frequent starter. Oh, um... Frank Caprice. Ooh, no, good guess, though. I like that. No. All right, number three. Different spelling, but this goaltender, who played for the team in the late 80s and the early 90s, shared a name with a subsequent Canucks goaltender who played for the team in the late 90s. Shared a last name, to be clear. All right, run that again for me. Okay, so the different spelling... But this goaltender, who played for the team in the late 80s, Pat Quinn era, yeah. shared a name with a Canucks goaltender who played for the team in the late 90s, like the Orca Bay era, um, shares the same last name in terms of how you'd say it, but different spelling. Um. Ooh. Yeah, I'm, we haven't had a blank yet, and I'm blanking, and this probably shouldn't be hard. But um, I thought this was—I thought this was a giveaway. Oh, here I'll give you—I'll give you—I'll give you I one. The, I'll give you I got clue. Monday morning. Monday morning brain. Yeah, I'll give you a clue. I'll give you one more clue, like a, a clue within a clue. <laughs> um, the uh, the goaltender, the second goaltender. So not the guy who's the name Mike Canuck, but the guy who's—he shares the last name. In terms of pronunciation with guys still a prominent NHL analyst nationally. Kevin Weeks? Okay. So that's not the name Mike Canuck though, but he shares that name last oh, name. Oh, Steve Weeks. Steve Weeks, there you go. Oh, okay. Alright. Yeah, I <laughs> I feel shame, but uh... <laughs> You get a point, you get a point. I'll take, my, I'll take my point and move on. I think my I think my third clue might have been too hard. I thought the Kevin Weeks thing would give it away. No, that, yeah, I mean, in hindsight, I should have got that. Uh, the national team thing kind of threw me for a loop, but I... Uh, all right. <laughs> my, my bad. <laughs> I feel bad. <laughs> Don't feel bad. <laughs> I, thought, I thought the clue was going to be... I, I thought it would be easier. Uh, excuse me. And I also thought... I also just assumed that your, like, knowledge of 80s... Canadian teams would be really strong. Like, I just thought you'd know that immediately, to be totally honest with you. All right, now you're just piling on, so I'm feeling <laughs> ultimate shame. I'm still bitter about the Jeff Cowan guess. I was so proud of it. <laughs> <laughs> that feels like a lifetime ago now. <laughs> hey, All right. I just want to mention that Nick Foligno, the captain of the Columbus Blue Jackets, is Scott Burnside and Pierre Lebrun's guest on Two-man advantage this week at The Athletic. We talked about the Blue Jackets as one of those teams banged up, but uh, with the restart 
Uh, might be a team to watch with torts at yeah. the controls, pushing the buttons. Uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, again, small steps in the right direction to get players back on the ice. So we'll see what the developments are the next time uh, you and I get together, Drancer. Uh, in the meantime, check out our comment section for each podcast episode on the Athletic app. And don't forget to rate and subscribe The VanCast on Apple. If you click on the show URL, theathletic.com slash thevancast, you'll get 40% off your subscription. Good stuff, Drancer. Good way to start the week with a brand new VanCast. Uh, we will reconvene midweek and do it all again. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to checking out good Sudbury boy Nick Foligno on, the, uh, on our <clears throat> athletic podcast network. Uh, guy, guys, sneaky, one of the best playmakers out of the net front spot on the power play uh, that I've ever seen. It's unbelievable, the plays that he can make, uh, passing the puck from that spot. He's like the NHL's Mark Gasol, so curious to know if they'll ask him about that. All right, run along, start watching that Minnesota Wild penalty kill. <laughs> you got some work to do. And we'll I'm get back it. at it. Something tells me we'll, <laughs> something tells me we'll be talking about this playoff series for a oh while uh, before it ever gets up and running. That's going to do it for the Vancast here at the Athletic and theAthletic.com. <laughs>